Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blemson. This week saw the anniversary of the introduction of MIFID II, a set of EU-wide rules aimed at making financial markets more transparent. But these rules have had some unintended consequences. Kat Rutapouli discusses how well they have worked with Stephen Morris, our European banking correspondent. So Stephen, what were the MIFID II rules designed to achieve and have they done that? They were designed basically to improve transparency in financial markets. Previously, brokers and banks offered research to clients for free. They gave them out these trading ideas, pointed out interesting things they'd meant in order to try and induce their clients, asset managers, hedge funds, into trading with them. But the research wasn't priced. What MIFID has changed is that this now is a service which has to be individually, discreetly paid for by someone. Now, most regulators assumed that this cost would be passed on to the end users of this you know the average people with savings asset managers or pension funds but what actually has happened is that most asset managers have taken the costs in-house themselves and as a result have drastically cut the amount they're willing to spend on research and the number of brokers or banks that they're prepared to deal with. Okay, so what unintended consequences has that had then, if it's turned out slightly different than we thought it would? Well, what we're starting to see is a bit of consolidation among mid-tier brokers. You know, for example, Autonomous emerging with uh, Allianz Bernstein over in the US. And we're starting to see some pressure on the smaller research teams that sort of mid-tier banks, you know, Royal Bank of Canada, Jefferies, they're working out what can they offer compared to a JP Morgan that could justify paying their analysts, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds a year. So this is the year when all the people we spoke to for this story said that we're going to really see this shakeout start. If you're on the big side of the spectrum, as I feel like JP Morgan, Barclays, Bank of America, you're probably going to be okay. And a lot of them are actually expanding their research arms. But if you work for somebody more in the mid-tier, I would be slightly more nervous going into 2019. Okay, so asset managers paying less, bringing analysis in-house, that doesn't sound good for the bulk of the analysts, even if there are likely to be some winners. Who are the beneficiaries? You mentioned the big banks. Mm. Anyone else? If you're a superstar analyst and people are willing to pay for your research, they're willing to pay for phone calls with you, they're willing to pay for face-to-face meetings, then the world's kind of your oyster this year. You can command whatever you want. You can set up your own boutique and charge individually just for your own advice. You can move to a hedge fund, again, commanding a high salary and more freedom. So I would say the winners are the people that are actually really good at their jobs, which I guess is a good thing. But, you know, there will be more losers. I mean, some people we spoke to for the article said, look, you're going to see a homogenization of research because there are just going to be fewer voices involved in it. Asset managers are paying less, which generally means there are going to be fewer analysts around. And also it's going to be a lot harder for people to leave the industry. So we're hearing about a bit of a roadblock with the older analysts not really having the same job opportunities so they can't move on or retire and the younger ones kind of getting stuck behind them waiting to move up through the ranks and run their own departments and their own teams. So a lot has happened this year. I mean, a lot of it below the surface of normal society, but it certainly has shaken up the financial industry a lot and it's led to a few quirky things coming out that we've seen. Should I tell you about a few of those? 
Yeah, it would be great to hear. So a lot of these analysts are under pressure to start generating revenue income. They haven't had to do this before because their research was all free. And it's led to a host of somewhat desperate tactics in order to try and have engagement with clients. So, for example, instead of actually having a telephone call with an asset manager, one investor I spoke to complained that people were leaving him voicemails with trading ideas or, or interesting topics and then sending them a bill for it. And surely we don't think that sort of thing can continue, can it? I mean, unexpected, unwanted services mm. being provided to bulk up your meet your targets. No, no, this was received very poorly by the investor who instructed the analyst to never do it again. And I'm sure he or she got in trouble with their boss. But yeah, I mean, you are seeing people be a lot more selective and it's going to take a while for people to work out this new system. For example, you can't attend a conference for free anymore. You have to pay for a conference. So it's really causing people who are looking at the budgets at these investors, like, do we really need to send that person to a conference in Thailand? Or do we really need somebody at a three-day conference in a swanky hotel in London? Or can they just read the research note for themselves? So what we're seeing everyone still involved in this interview is really try and differentiate themselves, you know, give investors a reason to continue paying what are often quite exorbitant fees for the research that their analysts produce. Is there a sense that investors actually feel like they've got better value for money out of this? We put all these things in place, but we've talked about how, you know, it's good if you're a superstar asset manager mm. and how it's bad if you're the mid-tier analyst. But have these rules achieved their underlying objective in terms of actually delivering value for money for investors? Well, I mean, transparency is what it attempted to bring. Has it done that? Not in the way that it was absolutely intended to, because asset managers are absorbing the cost of the research themselves. So they're not passing on. The, the, uh, they're not passing on the cost to clients by saying, oh, this trading idea that made us a lot of money was responsible from this person at this bank, so we feel we should pay them this much. Yeah. They're kind of just deciding it on their own. And we have quoted a few people in the story complaining about the quality of research. Yeah. For example, if you're a bank out there trying to market an IPO to potential investors, it would be, I would say, odd if your analyst wrote an incredibly harsh report about that company, <laughs> which has always led to accusations of bias or leaving things out. Sure. So basically, w- what I think this will do is if you are forced to be more selective about what research you pay for, mm-hmm. you will really focus in and try and do some kind of quantitative number-based analysis on whether you've actually got value for money with that interaction. And I think in the first year, this was very much a test period. People were still coming up with computer systems, putting things into spreadsheets on both sides of the equation, both people selling the research and the people buying it. Now, a lot of them are going through New Year price renegotiations now. They're looking at everything they paid over 2018, working out whether that's sustainable, whether they can spend less, spend more, and what they actually valued. Was it one-on-one phone calls with an analyst? Was it going to a special conference on a topic about you know, medical research? Whatever it was that their people found particularly useful and then that came up with good trading ideas and generated a lot of client business off the back of it, that's what will stay. And unfortunately, for years, there has been lots of very bog-standard analysis you know you have like 60 analysts i think covering apple there can't be 60 original ideas on on one thing that happens at that company so if that number falls down to 30 or 20 and and, people with their savings pension savings and an asset manager end up paying less in fees then yeah that will probably be a good thing down the line time will tell where we end up
was Kat Ritapuli talking to Stephen Morris. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com offer. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.